Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie, it's you, Jamie. Don't be alarmed, but I think there's a guy following you. Maybe we should get that guard dog we talked about? Nothing too scary, maybe like a Bichon with an attitude? You know, Progressive's collision insurance covers injured dogs and cats at no extra cost, so... Wait, the guy stood up when I stood up. He's on the phone. He's looking right at me. Oh, wait, it's just my reflection. Don't tell anyone about this. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Pet coverage not available in New Hampshire and North Carolina. Left side, three is short. Long rebound, Butler and Hayward battling. Butler has it. He takes the dribble into Gobert, misses the shot at the rim. Tip, no. Tip again, no. Tip again, no. Cleared by the Jazz. Here comes Joe Johnson. He's on the run. Lobs to the rim. Rodney Hunt on the top floor, and he'll ring the bell. Slam dunk, Rodney. Jazz by five. You are locked on Jazz. Your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. It is locked on Jazz for the 18th of November. The Jazz offense disappears against Chicago. What did the Bulls do? What went wrong for the Jazz? We'll break down all of that and try to figure out how the Jazz are going to survive without Derek Favors. Plus, KC Johnson, longtime beat writer for the Bulls, stops by to join us for a little in-arena interview. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. This is Locked on Jazz, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day, daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Thanks so much for subscribing on iTunes or wherever it is that you subscribe on your Android player. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you very much for doing so. And remember, the Locked on Podcast Network has your team every day, your NFL team, your national NFL show for you as well. And Locked on NBA today has... Uh, the scout this week, if you haven't grabbed it. All right, here's what I've got planned for you on the show today. Uh, we're going to stop by and j- visit with Casey Johnson, who does uh, really great work for the Chicago Tribune, a good friend of mine. It's been 20 years uh, around the league that, that we've hung out, and we just comfortably we go back a little bit and talk a little bit about what uh, the old finals as well as just kind of where we are uh, today with everything of that sort. Uh, so uh, really kind of... Uh, Cool stuff for you coming up, and I just rewatched the the ball game, so we'll I'll break down that for you. Uh, that's all that's coming up. Today's show is brought to you by Sherlock Intelligence. Uh, the guys out in Bountiful do great work. SherlockIntelligence.com. Uh, they're a data company to allow you to compete with the big boys. If you think about it, kind of from like a Moneyball standpoint, in the money movie Moneyball, Billy Bean of the Oakland A's, he brought in the analytics guy so that he could compete with the larger market teams like the Yankees and have a little bit of an edge there to disrupt the industry. Well, Sherlock is going to do the same thing for you with your business. If you're a business and you're trying to compete with the big boys and out there they're getting all their data and they have their whole collection, how do you deal with it? You go hire Sherlock Intelligence and they go take the multiple sources and bring in your data in a holistic picture, and then they capture that data, then they give you the visualized uh, and help you analyze so that you can do a better job of knowing your customers, finding the patterns in their behavior, and then growing the profits. If you're a small to mid-sized business and you don't have the same resources like one of those big enterprise businesses, and you can't compete in the same way, but you have to because, frankly, not knowing your data 
is somewhat being negligent. So you compete, you do more with less, you find a way to be nimble, and you hire guys like Sherlock Intelligence to help you maximize your profits, increase your revenue, and do that through the data collection. Give them a call at 855-339-7774. That's 855-339-7774. It's Sherlock Intelligence. Dot com And, of course, tell them I said my love. All right, let's go to pins across the world. Uh, Brad Molding is today. I currently reside in Snyderville Basin outside of Park City. I'm probably one of two people in the state who was born in McLeansboro, Illinois. That, of course, is the other is being Jerry Sloan. Uh, my mom and dad were also born and raised in McLeansboro and were fans of Coach Sloan in high school and college and later as a pro. I was lucky enough to watch him play as a young boy when he was with the Chicago Bulls. Uh, they played an exhibition game in my hometown at this time, at the time at Decatur, Illinois, and after the game, Coach Sloan met with us and gave me a silver dollar, one of my lucky charms, which I still have, obviously. Uh, from that day on, I was a diehard Bulls fan. In 1983, after graduating from college, I moved to Utah for work. Coach Sloan showed up two years later as an assistant. At that point, the Bulls became my second favorite team. And it was fun watching the ebb and flow of the Jazz over the years. Obviously, the two Jazz Bulls championship battles were highlights for me. The low point certainly was the departure of Coach Sloan and the circumstance surrounding it. Nonetheless, I'm excited about the current team potential. The Miller family certainly knows how to be successful in a small market. Kudos to them. Love the show on my many drives to Salt Lake. Brad Molding from Snyderville Basin. We're probably driving right next to each other. Uh, I'm talking to myself, and he's listening to me talk. It's all the same. All right, let's get into uh, this one. Uh, I went and, and really broke down this game to try to figure out what happened to our offense uh, last night. The first thing I would say is, particularly in the first quarter, there was just a tremendous amount of lack of movement. I mean, a tremendous amount of lack of movement. Really surprising to me that uh, I don't know if we got caught in just a pick and roll game if you're trying to find mismatches, but there was no weak side action. Guys were standing still. The Bulls defense was getting set and, and our guys, and, and we just couldn't beat people one on one. The Bulls beat us a lot one on one. They only had eight assists last night, uh, and won the game. Some of what was happening is the Bulls were hard hedging on the pick and roll. So they were bringing two guys. When our guy came off the pick, particularly with Rodney, they'd bring a second guy onto the pick and roll. Rodney would, wouldn't be able to find the passing window out of it. So he would just retreat. Then he'd find, hopefully get the mismatch out of it, or the Bulls were pretty quick and they would switch back. And then you're just late into the shot clock and playing one-on-one with a defense that's set. The Jazz were 4 of 21 shooting last night in the final 7 seconds of the shot clock. 4 of 21 shooting in the final seconds of the shot clock last night. That That's just not going to work. Uh, and, and that's a hard way to play. And Robin Lopez is just terrific. Robin Lopez is game-changingly different, uh, and he was a and what the and what they were able to do to Gordon, very specifically. And I put up some pictures on my Twitter account, so if you get a chance, you might want to go see them. Uh, what they j- did on Gordon is Gordon would come on the pick and roll, and strong enough. Uh, work by Jimmy Butler that he could stay above the pick and then he would get on the outside back shoulder of Gordon and literally would play defense behind him. And by playing defense behind Gordon, it forced Gordon. Gordon couldn't get into his step-back game. He couldn't get into his pull-up mid-range game. All the stuff that we've seen from him this year where he looks so strong and he looks so good. And so it forced Gordon to go all the way to the rim or to play at Lopez. And Gordon, that's not his game. He's not an elite athletic player who's going to the basket and rising over you. 
uh, that that's just not something that he's able or capable of doing. Uh, and there are very few players in the league who can, obviously Russ and LeBron and some of those, but that's, that's not an area where Gordon's very strong. And so the Bulls really had a terrific game plan on how to approach Gordon. They, and again, if you can get a chance, go to my Twitter account at LockedOnSports. I posted the picture. They, they got up on the back shoulder of him. So now Gordon's coming forward. He's got Butler behind him who's big and strong and he can't, he has nowhere really to go. Uh, Quinn made a nice adjustment later in the game, and that is he pulled the picks higher. So then Gordon's coming off the picks higher. And the other thing Gordon he did was he changed it. So so the first thing he did, let me explain each one. Uh, the the first one he's doing is he pulled the uh, so he pulled the pick up higher. So then Gordon comes around that pick. He's now behind the three point line, and by having that spot in that area to pull up, that gave him some good look threes, but Gordon's not making that shot. Okay, so now you just get into the fact that Gordon's not right. Uh, and he's not shooting the ball right. He's below 25% from three. He's really struggling. The pull-up three is the one that's probably bothering him more than anything else uh, right now. The second adjustment Quinn made that was really nice in this game is he – Gordon right now in pull-up threes is 24%, on catch-and-shoot threes is 18%. I mean, he's just way off. Uh, the the second one that Quinn did is started running Gordon on left-to-right double staggers because it made it harder for Butler to trail him the same way when the second pick came and got him. Uh, and so that was those were good adjustments by Quinn, and, and it, frankly, just couldn't couldn't get it to work, and the Bulls really did an incredible job. Uh, on on how th- how this game is being was played, uh, it was pretty interesting to watch. That is, um, that is the answer. Uh, uh, probably now you just have to have guys that are actually good enough to do it, and there probably aren't very many of them who are good enough to do it. Um, on Rodney Lopez, really caused Rodney some of the problems. You know, uh, I posted a picture of Rodney uh, where he just has no room, so he's got to kind of make his pull up jumper. And Rodney didn't get those same looks. They they were going under the pick on Rodney early in the game, and Rodney pulled on a three, missed, and pulled on another three and missed. And so that was a little bit of the of the looks that I think Rodney had available to him last night. Where those he goes five of sixteen, and and so I went to go look at Rodney's shot chart. He's one of seven from three. So they're going under the pick on Rodney, and he goes one of seven from three. It's not a lot you're going to be able to do. Uh, the, and that, and, and so, you know, and, and Roddy didn't hit his mid range at all. He was over. So he just, he just didn't make shots. So to some extent, the coaches made some adjustments and our guys just, our two primary guys just didn't make looks last night. Um, and maybe it, uh, some of it has to do, they got late in the shot clock. Uh, as, as we mentioned, four of 21 in shots in the final seven seconds of the shot clock. Only 10 of 28 from, from 7 to 15 on the shot clock. It wasn't as though, uh, you know, they were, they were great, greatly better in, in that area uh, as the game de- went. They, they just, the Bulls got their defense set. They had a game plan on Hayward and Hood. The Jazz got stagnant, and they were terrible, terrible offensively. Uh, and, and the other one is that, you know, frankly, uh, I don't know who created the phrase record scratcher. Guys who wear the ball sticks on them or they're supposed to take the shot and they didn't take it. There's a lot of record scratching going on. And Boris is not really wanting to shoot. And 
Dante at times, though I thought finally when they weren't guarding Dante, Dante was nicely aggressive trying to take advantage of that. I thought he did a good job with that. Robin Lopez is really, really good. They drop him in the middle of the lane, and unless you're hitting your pull-up jumpers, and then they take away the pull-up with Butler on the backside of Gordon, there's just not a lot of room for you to make plays. The Bulls' defense was great. And the Jazz' defense was great last night. The Jazz had a brilliant game plan on Butler to force him to his offhand. They kept him on that hand most of the night. He was never comfortable in what in what he was doing. Uh, he, he, he never got a rhythm to his game. Dwayne Wade didn't have a rhythm until late in the game. And one of the biggest plays, Trey Lyles got switched on him and didn't execute the defensive game plan. Uh, and, and so, you know, that's hard for Trey. Like, he, I mean, Trey's got it. That's probably a maturity thing. Trey's got to go through shoot around and realize there's a chance I'm going to get switched on Wade. And Wade prefers to get to, you know, his left hand. And so we, we're trying to force him the other way and, and he allowed him to get there. And Butler preferred his right hand. And the Jazz did a really nice job of shading Butler left all game and making him, him really uncomfortable. And they, and they couched down and, and their def, the only thing is their defensive rebounding, gang rebounding. Robin Lopez was a beast down there. Just never let anyone grab a rebound straight. Uh, but offensively, the Bulls just had a great game plan on Hood and Hayward. The Jazz lacked movement. Uh, they got knocked out of their systems and their flow. Uh, when they got a little better at it was when Lopez was out of the game, but the minute Lopez got back in the game, then they get stagnant again. Uh, Boris DL really struggled last night. Uh, and so did Withy. And that leads to some really interesting questions on how the Jazz are going to get through this time without favors. Because, uh, you know, Trey Lyles had a better game last night, but Trey's got some, some deficiencies as well. I think if you, kind of dig into the numbers, you'll see some plus-minus numbers and things like that, unless they've changed. I haven't looked at them recently, but I, I would suspect that they are still accurate. I mean, he's 21 years old and still learning the game, but I think he's going to have to get some time. Boris just doesn't doesn't look right in the amount of times re-watching the game that the, that the Boris is somewhat responsible for the other team scoring or directly responsible for the other team scoring was was at a pretty pretty stunningly high amount. Uh, particularly in the third quarter, they went at him. And Boris is battling. It's not as though it's not an effort thing. But the Jazz defense with Boris on the floor this year is a 107.3. The next highest on the entire group is Joe Ingles at 103.7. I mean, that's that's pretty radical. I mean, he's four points defensively worse than anybody else on the floor. Joe, George Hill actually is next at 103.3. So, I mean, that's, that's an eye-opening number right now uh, for the Jazz that they – they are not able to defend right now when Boris is on the floor. Uh, and Boris's rebounding is pretty incredible. Boris is rebounding at the same rate that Trey Burke rebounded last year. He's getting 4.9% of, of available rebounds. Dante Exum's getting 6.4. I was trying to, I looked, I mean, I looked back. The guys who were at 4.9 last year, Trey Burke was at 4.7. That makes it hard if he's your center power forward. That's too bad. I don't know. I don't know if that's a, a health thing. I don't know if that's an age thing. I don't know if that's just where he is uh, in his game right now. Uh, I went to look back at, to see. I mean, Sam, remember, he gets he's out of the rotation in San Antonio last year. Um, and so you're going to have to in, – and the, in, in the intention when they added Boris – was that he would have roles on the team. His rebounding rate last year was 9.5, but the defense when he was on the floor in, in San Antonio last year was fine. So, you know, some some of it may be just him still adjusting 
to who his teammates are and what's going on and, and how they're using him. Uh, but that's that that's going to be tough. Uh, and he, you know, obviously he's not he's not shooting the ball as well as he'd want to. You know, he he missed training camp. He's missed a lot of time. He, he's just not in the flow yet. Uh, you know, Jeff Withy is a is a nice player who does some some nice things. And the one thing I've noticed on Jeff is he's really pretty good. If um, he's really pretty good if he's choosing the direction he's going. But the minute the game is dictating him to be backpedaling or reacting or rotating or changing direction, he's not as good. Now, scouts have told me this is because he's got high hips, and that's just a very difficult way for a big guy to move, and that may be true. I mean, when he's choosing to come over and block a shot or alter a shot defensively, and he's, he's terrific. But when he has to choose which way he's going to move, that's not that's not in his strength, and that was evident last night when he had to guard Miritich out on the on the wing. That's a that's a tough matchup. It, it, wherever the Jazz are getting their minutes, if it's two or three weeks, as as Norv said last night on the broadcast, that for for Derek or whatever whatever it might be, um, is it's going to be really interesting to see whether or not the Jazz are able. Uh, how they're going to get through these minutes at the power forward position. Uh, and obviously, if you have George Hill on the floor last night, when they take away Rodney and Gordon's aspects to the game, uh, and also, if Rodney and Gordon just are hitting shots better than they are right now, I mean, I, you know, I, it sounds really almost kind of anti-analysis to just say that, but, you know, I saw the coaching staff's adjustments when I rewatched the game. I could see what they were trying to do to get each guy his shots and, and where he was going to, they're going to get their shots and then they don't make them. That there's not, there's not a lot of options you have left. And, and Rodney's, you know, whether it's due to the sickness or, I mean, you go back to that road trip, Rodney's into one of his little spells. He's suddenly three of his last 18 from three. I mean, this was the whole question about him, right? And he's been better because he's gotten the line a little bit more. You know, I'm not. You know, Roddy was asked to be a number two scorer last night. Uh, Gordon's asked to be a number one. Those those are tough roles for the two of them. George out there would have relieved some of that pressure. Derek would have relieved some of that pressure. But you got to play through this. This is just you know these are the injuries. This is what you have. Um, you know the beautiful thing on Rod this year is there's only been two games all year where the team's negative with him on the floor. That's that's how good a player he's becoming. That was the Clipper game in last night. It's only the second time all year uh, that's been the case for Rod. But Rod's, you know, suddenly that shot's off a little bit. He went one of seven in Orlando, one of four in Miami, one of seven here in Chicago coming off the illness. And and so is his – I think one of the questions that's been asked about him a little bit is whether his body is one that is uh, completely capable of handling 32 minutes a night all the time. That's – I think that's a, that's a, a legitimate kind of question to who he is – uh, in his career last year, his numbers faded as the year went on, and that's where you know, when the Jazz talked to him about getting physically stronger so that you're above average in your strength so that you can maximize your skills and then survive the season. We'll see whether he can get his shot going uh, again. So that's my take on last night's ballgame, really, uh, and, and where the, that one stands. Uh, Chicago might be good. Uh, I thought, that, you know, the two primary guys aren't scoring – uh, and, and there aren't a lot of other scoring out there. The, and the Jazz offense was it just was tough to watch. All right, uh, that is today's kind of that part of the show. Let's go to our in-arena interview with Casey Johnson. Is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. 
Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details. Time for another in-arena interview. This time one of my favorite guys, Casey Johnson, who's the Chicago Tribune Bulls beat writer. We first met in, oh my gosh, we won't talk about that. Yeah, we should. It's 20 years ago. It is. 1996. I know. NBA Finals. <laughs> Seattle Bulls. And then... You weren't here yet, but I covered two finals in this building, uh, 97, 98, obviously Bulls Jazz. I, w- I was here as the pre-halftime post-game show host. Okay, see? My memory I was here, was not, right? Yeah, yeah, so I was here, Yeah. As and then I left and went to Seattle and came back. There so, you go. Yeah, you and two I, decades, man. I know, We're old. I know. We've got kids. Yeah. We're, like, paralleling each other's lives. Yeah. Uh, all right, anyway. Let's uh, talk general NBA, Eastern Conference. Cleveland's obviously on their stratosphere. What's your feeling of where there's this next tier? There's kind of everybody thought it was Toronto and uh, Boston. Boston. And then there was the other tier, which I had. I really like Charlotte and Atlanta. Now maybe to Chicago. So how do you see the Eastern Conference tiers? Well, you've just named all the, the teams that are in play for those tiers. I think two things have jumped out to me early in the season. Well, you can't really judge Boston yet because they've been so injured. And Brad Stevens is such a good coach, you have to think that they're going to get that figured out at some point when they get healthy. But Atlanta, to me, is much better than people thought they were going to be. And I think people just assume with the changes and Horford leaving and Howard coming in that they weren't going to be as good and, and T going to Indy. And I think they've been very, very good, and I think that's sustainable. They Interesting just, note on them, by the way, their starting lineup's awful. No, it is. It's like minus six. For 100 possessions, it's been awful. But that's what I'm saying. Can it, it want to get better? I, it, right, because that's my a li- yes. I'm with right. you. If it gets better, then then they're really good. Right. I actually thought they were going to be really good because Howard's a better defense player than Horford. And you were higher on Charlotte probably than I was initially, but Clifford has proven that he gets the most out of every team. Top five coach. Yeah. All right. Why all the Brad Stevens love when I think it should all be Steve Clifford love? Top five. Come on, man. Well, you would say top five for Brad Stevens, wouldn't you? I don't know. Let's go uh, Popovich, right? You're right. Uh, I always have Spolster on this list. I agree. He's always overlooked, always gets the most out of his teams. Another guy who often Runs gets overlooked. great sets. Another guy who always gets overlooked in the, ter- the elite conversation coach, or elite coach conversation is Rick Carlisle. I don't know. I feel like he's always at number two, and I haven't won a first-round playoff series in a long time. I would put Rick there. I'm not sure. I, I'm not saying I would put him in the top five still, but anyway, we're way off topic right, here. We're going back point. to the East tiers. Uh Toronto always gets kind of no respect and overlooked, but I, I don't know. I think they've got staying power. They've, I think they proved it last year. By the way, Dwayne Casey might be a better coach than he gets credit for. <laughs> he go. gets like let's just talk about coaching the whole time. Um, but then the, getting it back to the Bulls, I think that they have a chance to be playing for home court by the end of the season if they stay healthy. Obviously, that's always the qualifier. Um, I think offensively they're better than people thought they were going to be, and I think defensively they're going to get things figured out as the season moves along. You guys just saw Portland and just lambasted them. I thought I watched that game today. Did you get a weird 
there was something wrong with Portland in that game. Yeah, in fact, I was talking to uh, somebody after that game that might may or may not be in the Bulls organization that was very, very surprised at how disorganized uh, Portland was defensively. Yeah, they just didn't look like they had it defensively. Now, look, they missed shots they normally make in that game. They're obviously a three-point shooting team, and they missed a lot of shots that they, they normally make. But defensively, they just had no resistance. They weren't getting back. And then uh, the Bulls killed them on the boards, uh, which sometimes has been a strength for them. So, Jimmy Butler's mammoth right now. Kemba Walker's mammoth right now. James Harden's mammoth. Gordon Hayward's been great for us. DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan is... Have people finally figured out offensively how to play with rules that are advantageous to offensive players, and it's allowing the greatest talent in the world to actually show universally across the board? I think that's a great point, and as we all know, good offense always beats good defense. So, I mean, if you're, you're going to get scored on in this league no matter how good of a defender you are. Um, you know, and I think also teams have stopped falling in love with a three-point shot. Obviously, that's still a, a, a main emphasis in today's league, but I still think you see so much dribble penetration and so much screen roll success that that's i think players are figuring out how to how to do it at both levels i'm gonna so. take it the other way i think the three-point shot has helped that has shot. why these players are having such you can't leave guy like when james harden's coming off a pick and roll and they got a corner three shooter on each side and that corner three is 1.2 points per shot you can't leave and so now harden gets the rack demar Rosen can get his mid-range jumper any place he wants now because you can't leave the three-point shooters right but i'm saying what we're in agreement on that what i was saying is you don't have to be a great three-point shooter to be a great offensive player and for a while there it looked like that was where the whole league is trending i mean demar Rosen's not a great three-point it's shooter. incredible what he's doing yeah but and, and jimmy butler's not a great three-point shooter and he's playing at an incredibly high level well, so. i would say if you surround yourself with shooters the bulls may prove that otherwise right now yeah, I mean, they've really only got McDermott and Miritich who spread the floor consistently, and McDermott's out right now with the concussion. So um, they're just doing it with multiple playmakers and multiple ball handlers and giving different looks. I watched Westbrook the other night. They have three non-shooters and Oladipo on the floor with him. He's still able to do stuff, yeah. which is amazing to me. So your point is that I'm not sure how these guys are doing this without shooters. And, the, and here in Utah, Favors and Gobert, which defies all logic, has been good offensively now for 17 straight months. And everyone's like, well, how can that be? And I don't know, actually. I actually, you know, my one thought is I think we've forgotten about the value of the screen center. Yeah. And uh, tying it back to the Bulls, and you just said a little pregame chat with Fred Hoiberg and uh, Robin Lopez, just watch him. I mean, he's unbelievable at setting screens and always forcefully rolling to the basket, which also, as we know, clears space and room for for drivers and shooters, too. So, This is unfair because it was 20 years ago. But you think back at those two finals you covered, what's your, like... What's your like when someone says to you, oh, my gosh, you covered that. Like, what was it like? What is your story you tell? What's your memory of those two years of Jazz Bulls matchups? Hiking in Little Cottonwood Canyon. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. I'm glad to see you got out. How about for on the court or the shenanigans around it? And that was a little shout-out to our uh, host here because he uh, recommended that hike to me, and it still (laughs) remains one of my favorite. Uh, No, but come on, 97, 98, you have to go to the, the shot. Yeah. Or, as you might say, the shove-off. <laughs> because I, Michael definitely pushed off of Brian Russell, but uh, it was crazy. I, I, here's my story I always tell. In the 98 finals, literally this was my assignment, write Michael Jordan every day. We had the beat writer, we had columnists, we had sidebar people. My assignment, write about Michael Jordan every day. Not a bad assignment. And so all I remember is being on a horribly bad deadline on that shot, but obviously appreciating the moment and as we all thought, it might have been his last shot in the NBA. It didn't turn out that way, but great memory. You know what I remember about that shot? Actually, the shot I remember as much as the game one shot where he wins it on the left side of the yep. floor. 
I still have the sound bite of him afterwards because it takes him about two minutes and 25 seconds to explain all the stuff that went through his brain in seven seconds. Yeah. And it was just like the moment where I was like, oh my gosh, this guy's insanely yeah. smart at how much he's taken. He was talking about the guy shifting from the right and this, and so I knew I had to pull. And, like, and it was like... I and, mean, it, and for an X's and O's junkie like you, you were eating that stuff yes. up. Too. That is Casey Johnson, Chicago Tribune. Follow him on Twitter at... KCJ Hoop, no S, singular. You wish you had an S and now you can't? No, I like it that way. Okay. That is Locked on Jazz for today. We'll come to you an hour before each game. We periscope for you on Twitter. Remember that. Ron and I will do that for you in uh, Houston and in Denver for you this week. We have Saturday game, early Saturday game, by the way, in Houston, a little earlier than usual. Uh, we'll tip off at 3 o'clock Mountain Time uh, on Saturday, and then Sunday is the regular 7 o'clock tip in Denver. Ron and I will periscope for you an hour before each game. This has been Locked on Jazz. Thanks very much for subscribing on iTunes. Wherever, if you haven't left us a five-star review, please take a second and do so. We'd greatly appreciate that as the Jazz get uh ready to head on the road and hopefully uh, find themselves uh, some winning ways. This has been Locked On Jazz, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.